will be talking about the persecuted church today and the freedom that we have in the Lord Jesus as free uh, citizens today to preach the good news and the freedoms that we have in that. And for, as uh, Jason read, as we are persecuted for our faith and those who are persecuted for their faith, we rejoice in the righteousness of, of Jesus. So today I'm going to ask you if you'll have your Bibles turned to Acts chapter 5. We're going to finish out this chapter today. We'll be looking at these verses in the narrative from verses 17 through 42. And the question I want to ask, in fact, I want to ask a few questions of you today. First will be, who or what are you afraid of? Who or what are you afraid of in terms of living for Jesus, in terms of living out your faith? In terms of sharing Christ, who or what are you afraid of? Last week, we were blessed for the students to be able to lead us in, in worship. They did a tremendous job, didn't they? They did a great job leading in, in worship because they are worshipers, just as we are. They are worshipers of the Lord Jesus, just as, as we are. There is no demarcation in age Jake and Tyler challenged us from the word to affirm our allegiance to King Jesus by asking a question, who or what is your Lord? And we ask a question very similar today, who or what are you afraid of? That there are hard and fast truths in scripture, hard and fast commands in God's word to cast down your idols. From the very time that Adam and Eve disobeyed God all the way until we see the precious Lord Jesus at the end of the age, there will always be this command to cast down your idols. Take up your cross and let your idols fall from your hand. Cast down your idols and follow Jesus wholeheartedly. In fact, the closing words of John in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 21 reverberates Little children, keep yourself from idols. Keep yourself from idols. And so, in keeping with the food theme, last week it was cake and soup. Okay, cake and soup. So keeping with this food theme, I want to offer up for you today a fruit-laden cornucopia. Because that is what I think about when I think about the book of Acts, not the fruit that's laid out on the table or steaming, streaming over from the basket onto the table. When I think about the book of Acts, I think of an illustration of the fruit of the Spirit of God on display in the early church. I would imagine if you would take the book of Galatians and lay out the fruit of the Spirit and you follow the history of the church, you can see the fruit of the Spirit on display in the early church. We have a lot to travel through today in these words, so I'll ask you if you will, let's stand together. I'm going to be reading from verses 17 through 29 and we'll finish up the last segment of scriptures in the conclusion. If you will, let's stand together and we read. let's read through these words. And I did not mention if there's a child for children's church, you'll be dismissed at this time. My mistake. Acts chapter 5, verse 17. The Bible says, 
But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles, that they put them into public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of life, of this life. And when they had heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and they began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council and all the senate of the people of Israel, and they sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and they reported. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the door. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Hallelujah. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. The captain with the officers went and brought them back, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. And Peter, the apostles, answered, saying, We must obey God rather than man. Father, we ask you that you would oversee this message today. By your Holy Spirit, God, lead and guide. Help us to hear what you say to your church. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, in 60 seconds or less, I'm going to try to give us a bit of a snapshot of, of chapter 5 leading up to this point. And so far, we've had the Lord strike down Ananias and Sapphira for lying to the Holy Spirit for simply keeping back a portion of the proceeds from a piece of land that, that they had stolen. And not to think that this was a harsh punishment because this was at one of the most critical times for the early church. And they decided to sin. And they paid for it with their, their lives. A great fear and amazement came over the people and the Lord was able to continue His work through the hands of the apostles. It got the world's attention for that moment, they found themselves back at Solomon's porch, the place where this slain man was healed, which is the very, the very reason and the very way that the, what catapulted the apostles in the crosshair of the Sanhedrin here at Solomon's porch. Because it was evident that the Lord was in this movement, people from all over were being healed and pointing to the apostles and the Lord is as if the Lord is saying you have seen these miracles you have seen all that I am doing through them you have seen that I am at work now listen now listen to them so verse 17 there's another question that I would like to pose with the introductory question who or what are we afraid of now these are things that I would, I would encourage you to write down and spend some time thinking through. Write these questions down and think through them. Who or what are we afraid of in terms of sharing our faith and standing for Christ in a world that seeks to degrade Jesus, degrade His church, 
to strip any authority away from God Almighty. Will you stand for God in those moments? Will you, will you stand for him or will you stand for man? The second question is that. Will you stand for God or will you stand for man? Will you stand for God in difficult times? And I hope that we would say that we would. Amen, brother. By the grace of God, I will. By the movement of his Holy Spirit and by his grace, I plan on standing for Jesus. Verse 17, this high priest rose up and the Bible tells us that this was the party of the Sadducees. And they were filled with jealousy. The high priest here is not named. Some would speculate that this is Caiaphas. But it is important to remember that this is the party of the Sadducees. And the reason that they are coming so hot and heavy for the apostles are twofold. Number one, they have a disdain for the supernatural. So they have a disdain for the teaching of miracles. They have a disdain for the teaching of angels, anything supernatural, and certainly a resurrected Messiah figure, they would have disdain for that teaching and they would be passionately opposed to this view. But then Luke reveals the second part of this motive and the real heart of this motive, the real thrust of this motive is this, it is their jealousy. They are jealous. In fact, the word jealousy means, in this occasion, means to boil. Meaning that they were so jealous that they were on the brink of envy. Spilling over into wrathfulness. Spilling over into anger. Spilling over into sin. See, it's not a sin to be angry. It is a sin to act upon that sin in wrathfulness. It's like a pot boiling over with, with water and, and it hits the stove, hits the eye of that stove, boiling over into envy and strife and, and wrath and anger. See, the Pharisees and Sadducees, they have spent years oppressing the people with their false interpretations of the Torah. In fact, when Jesus preached his most famous sermon on the mount, he said, you have heard it said this, but I tell you this, as he interpreted the law, Exactly how God had inspired it to be written. And so now that God has sent his unique son who, would, who, who rose again from the dead. These people hated this movement. They hated this movement. They were jealous because now you have at this point 10, 000, at least 10,000 people who are now believers in the way. And by the way, the early church, just to kind of help us out here to see the historical Significance of this, the, uh, the early church, when I'm thinking, the early church, right behind the death of Jesus and his resurrection, the early church, they saw no distinction from early Judaism to Christianity. In fact, the church was not, the, they were not called Christians till later in Antioch. They saw no distinction between Judaism and, and Christianity. They saw it as a fulfillment of the promises of God. That God is taking his word and he has fulfilled it through the person of Jesus. So there is no sharp demarcation from Judaism, early church, early Judaism, and Christianity. They saw it as God fulfilling his promises through Messiah Jesus. They arrested the apostles and they put them in the public prison, verse 18 tells us. 
And since it's getting late in the day, their intentions were to delay the trial, let them think about it a little bit. And I actually think there's a little bit of a play on words here from this boiling over and jealousy to them sitting in the prison, stewing over what they have done, thinking about it. There's a little bit of a play on words here, but it's important. It is an important factor where they placed the apostles. You see, everything in God's will, everything in God's economy has purpose. It has a sovereign reason and it has a sovereign purpose, even the very public prison that these apostles were placed in. You see, these type of prisons held tighter security, which made what follows such an amazing event. Tighter security. But that don't matter when the Lord has a plan for his people. When the Lord has a plan for his people, he will have his will and way. Now, before we read again what happened, let me say this. I have a little note about this, but I can't help but to to come back to it. Aren't you glad that God doesn't forget us in our troubles? That God does, has not left us to sink or swim. Even our persecuted brothers and sisters in the world. God has, God has a, a plan for them. And God is using them greatly to grow the kingdom. And I, I'm glad that God has not forgotten us. Even in our troubles. And he is, he is, like, that, he is like that friend that sticks closer than a, a brother. Isn't it great to remember that he will never leave us? And when we are working in the will of God and his kingdom, that he will always, God always shows up. God always supplies exactly what we need to sustain. And this is the miracle of miracles, I think, that God always shows up. He always gives us exactly what we need to sustain us in times of trouble. And he'll do the same thing. See, we worry about whether or not the government is going to come and they're going to strip tax exemption from churches or whether we're going to be persecuted. But even in all of that, God will see his church through. And listen in. During the night, an angel of the Lord opened up the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go to the temple and speak to the people the words of this life. When they heard this, they went to the temple, they began to preach, and the high priest came together with this council, all the center of the people of Israel, and he sent them to the prison to go get the apostles out, and here they are going to preach. I want you to notice what the angel did not tell them to do. The angel did not tell them to run away. He didn't open the doors, now you're free, go before they... Before they notice you're gone, go before they come after you. The angel didn't instruct them to go and hide. He didn't instruct them. It didn't instruct them to be quiet concerning the truth. He said, now you go and tell. See, the, the, the event is miraculous in and of itself. But the important thing to remember is not the supernatural jailbreak. We get caught up on that. Amen. An angel of the Lord came and brought the apostles. And we praise the Lord for that. But the important truth is not the supernatural jailbreak. It is when the Lord set them free to preach. The angel said, stand, preach, proclaim the words of this life, which is everything that the Sadducees disdain. See, the Sadducees are like the liberal theologians today that 
try to discount any supernatural events in the Bible. I imagine the scene. The angels rescue them. They are commanded to go and preach. And you don't think that they are, that they are motivated to stand strong in Jesus? And so this eternal life, you go and you preach these words. And we know that because we are the reader, the worshiper in 2023 who have the closed canon of Scripture. I can handle the Bible in my hands today. And I know that what this word of truth, this word of life is, is that it is Jesus Christ. Him dying on the cross and raising on the third day, defeating sin, death, hell, and the grave, and now as my advocate before God the Father. And they were going to share this, pardon my expression, come hell or high water. Now, I, I think and I try to put myself in the apostles' case, but it's difficult for me. I often find myself out of step. And there are two reasons that I feel myself out of step. For one, I have never been arrested for my faith in Jesus. Anyone else? I've never been arrested for my faith in Jesus, and I certainly have not been visited by an angel at night who instructed me to go and preach. In fact, if I come up to the platform here this morning and said, I had an angel come and visit me, and he told me that I need to preach this, you would probably say, well, preacher, you need to get your head examined. God's word is full of such commands such as preach the word. Be instant in and out of season. And we have freedoms as citizens. I'm thankful for the nation that we live in, that we have religious liberties. We live in a country who practices religious liberties, even if we don't agree with all the religions. We have the freedom to worship. And in that realm of religious liberties... You and I ought to be knocking down the doors of our neighbors to share Jesus with them. Our pews should be full. So full that we got to put out chairs for people. And I wonder, did the apostles ever argue about a program that wasn't living up to expectations, that wasn't up to par? Did the, the apostles, did they ever say that they ever complained that the music was a little different? No. See, here's the thing. When you are pressed with persecution and you are forced to decide what is really important, all the other non-essential fluff fades away into obscurity. In those moments, you think when the church is being persecuted, they're going to care what is printed in the bulletin? Do you think that they're going to care if there is a typo? On the praise list, on the prayer list, do you think that they're going to get all up and out of arms when something isn't going their way that I consider non-essential things that fade away? What is more important to you? To stand firm in Jesus and to be resolute in Christ or is it all the non-essential things that don't matter. Does it matter if we have a, a wooden uh, offering plate or, or, or gold or silver? Does it matter if we have flowers in the sanctuary? Does it matter if the air is turned on 75 or 73? Do those things matter in the grand scheme of eternity? 
So they were commanded and they began teaching. And by the way, this is a progressive, ongoing language. This is in the imperfect sense that they began to teach and they kept teaching. Then the officers were sent. They came and they didn't find anyone in the prison. Imagine their horror. The prisoners were locked up. And they opened the door. There's no one inside. They're gone. The captain of the temple, who's the second in command under the high priest, heard these words and they were greatly perplexed and they were they didn't know they were puzzled and they wondered what would come of this which means well who's going to die today of course that's always the case when the lord that's always the case when god is at work when god demonstrates the gospel when god is at work in his church and in the world the world doesn't understand it the world doesn't understand the things of God. They're spiritually discerned. The world can't understand the things of God. I, re I remember putting in my two weeks notice. I worked with the city of Jacksonville for over 11 years. And I, I thought it was a pretty good paying job. And I remember putting in my two week notice to enter into seminary and start ministry. And, and I remember putting in that notice and, and people, some people thought I was an idiot for leaving. I had conversations with people that when I told them that I was putting my two weeks in, that I was going to go start seminary, hopefully to, to lead a church or to preach or to pastor, they looked at me like I was insane. I'm leaving a job that paid almost $30 an hour. I can disclose that. Almost $30 an hour, benefits, insurance, free uniforms, free boots, all these things, and I'm leaving all that to go to seminary where I'm making nothing and take my first church where I was making $200 every two weeks. They looked at me like I was crazy. The world just doesn't understand. And I imagine this type of Laurel and hearty look. These guards went in and when they looked for James and John and I, I remember the cartoon. Which way did they go, George? Which way did they go? <laughs> Someone came and told them, look, the men are out there. They're standing in there at the temple and they're teaching the people. The captain went, or the, or the officers went and grabbed them, not by force. They were afraid that they were going to be stoned. Do you notice the irony here? You notice the irony? Shouldn't it be the apostles who were afraid of being stoned? The captain answers only to the high priest, and in order not to lose face, he brought them out peacefully as to not be stoned himself. <laughs> you know, sometimes we say that God works in mysterious ways, and whether or not that is a theologically intact phrase or not, God is certainly up to something in this discord that is a bit of a mystery and a bit of an irony. Here they stand one, once more in front of the, the religious, quote-unquote, people. And by religious, I mean self-righteous people who have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. People that Jesus described as whitewashed tomb. These are people who their tomb on the outside has been splashed with lime and it looks bright and pristine. But on the inside is a grave that has been dug and is full of dead men's bones. They have the appearance of being religious and righteous, but they are dead inside. 
And they brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned him and said, We told you not to preach in this name. See, if I was the apostles, I, would, I think I would have to say, In what name? In this name. In what name? I think I would have to press it a little bit, but it carries on and says, You here, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you have intended to bring this man's blood upon us. And Peter answered, We must obey God rather than man. We must obey God rather than man. Let's say that together. We must obey God rather than man. But there is one thing we walk out of here today with that gets ingrained in our DNA. We must obey God rather than man. Look, we told you not to preach in this name. They couldn't even say the name Jesus. You know there are people today who can't even breathe the name of Jesus. They won't say it. And in this case, they thought it was blasphemous. The excuse that they had is that it would be blasphemy to utter a name of a person who claimed to be Messiah. But the blasphemy here would be to deny that Jesus is the Christ. The unpardonable sin is the unbelief in Jesus. That is the blasphemy. If I could put this in the modern day vernacular, the high priest would say something to this effect. When he says that you have brought this man's blood upon us, that you are bound and determined to blame this death on us. This is what you call a false dichotomy. A false dichotomy. The dichotomy is simple. Okay? In this explanation, you have two premises. You have one or two. And the false dichotomy is this. These false premises, there is a third option that exists. There is a third option that exists. So what is the dichotomy? It is simple. First, these high priests, the high priests, they thought that the apostles were there to undermine their authority. As you see in verse 29, the Peter, the apostle said, we must obey God rather than man. So they, they inferred that the apostles were there to undermine their authority. False premise number one. False premise number two. They assumed that the apostles were there to condemn, to condemn them for the death of Jesus. Peter hasn't even gotten to that point yet where he is going to lay some blame. They haven't even got to that point yet. But a third option a third option exists that's not even considered. The third option is this. They were there to plead with anyone who will hear that Jesus is the way. Even if they hung him on the cross. If they repent, they will be saved. They are there to plead with anyone who will hear. And that, that is exactly the way the world perceives truthful preaching. If I utter the name of Jesus and that there is no other name under heaven in which men might be saved, the world would say that I'm closed-minded. How about all these other religions? Peter's statement, I think, should hit us to the core. That's why we repeated it. We must obey God rather than man. And imagine the apostles as they were led out of prison to go back to the temple. Imagine if they looked at the angel and said, Hey, uh, uh, we're going to be, I don't know if you know this, but if we go back there, we might even be killed or arrested again. Imagine the apostles uh, saying that. This angelic 
jailbreak, this supernatural angelic jailbreak. Through this jailbreak, one thing is solidified in the DNA of the apostles. One thing comes to the surface, and that is they learned in that moment that they can trust that God is protecting them. God is protecting them in that ministry. See, I have a special place in my heart for the, the persecuted church. And this is probably due to the fact that we have an immense freedom and in some way we have squandered that freedom away. I'm, just turn your head around and look. Churches across America look full of holes on Sunday morning. Empty seats, empty pews. We have squandered away, I think, our religious freedom. Millions of Christians worldwide suffer high levels of persecution. In those places where there is high persecution, the church is thriving. High levels of persecution, and they are discriminated against for their faith. Story after story of how followers of Jesus are sometimes tortured and killed for their faith. In fact, there is one out of seven Christians who are persecuted worldwide. One in five are persecuted in Africa. Two, in five, two out of five are persecuted in Asia. Just this past year, there, were, there was 5,621 followers of Jesus who were killed for their faith, and yet we can't utter a word about Jesus to others because we're afraid that somebody might say something against us or think that we're a holy roller. Our fear of man has overstepped our fear of God. We have the freedom to worship in this church, to sit in a comfortable setting, and this yet last year, 2,110 churches were attacked this last year, and 4,542 followers of Jesus were detained, arrested for proclaiming Jesus as Lord. We cannot comprehend because we have no frame of reference in our culture. Now, you think that they were worried about the frivolous things that we worry about? You think that this early church was worried about the little frivolous things that we do? And you might say, well, that's them, not us. That's their problem over there. This doesn't affect us. My friends, there is not a demarcation between the persecuted church and the church. There is just the church. There is just the church. And by the grace of God, I mean, one day this could be our scenario. And I am afraid, here's what I'm afraid of, church. If we do not start taking initiative to go out and beat the hedges and start showing up for Jesus, the Lord is going to strip this freedom to show us who is in, who is in control. I've given you freedom as a free nation to exercise your faith. We would rather do other things. The apostles were so consumed at the task at hand that they wanted to do what God said and let everything else fade away. They were not worried about their freedom. 
they were, they would have left. They weren't, weren't worried about their freedom. They weren't worried about their lives. They weren't worried about how comfortable they were. They weren't worried about their reputation, etc., etc. And then I want you to, to get this. Peter, Peter begins to preach again, or the apostle begins to preach. We assume that this is coming from the mouth of the apostle Peter. In the south, we call this in preaching, shucking the corn. Taking the husk from the corn and preaching with zeal and enthusiasm. And if it is God's will, it will flourish. This comes from the mouth of Gamaliel. So let's finish up this narrative. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you have hanged. You killed and hang him on a, hung on a tree. But God has exalted him as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. Peter exclaims and preach how Jesus is Messiah, savior. Not only for Israel, but for sin. God raised him up, you tore him down. But it was in God's plan that he would hang on the cross and rise again. This was God's plan before the earth was ever measured off. Before the cosmos was ever created, this was God's plan. Then Peter, the preacher, says that we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom, whom God has given to, to those who obey. And I am sure that the Pharisees, Sadducees, they were not there when Ananias and Sapphira dropped dead. But there were others who were. But this rings of Peter pointing back to what happens when we are out of step with God and in, in, in disobedience. Ananias and Sapphira was a good reminder. Pointing back, and surely there were people there who witnessed Ananias and Sapphira who were buried and their body was barely, uh, barely even cold. When they heard this, they were angered, they were enraged, and they wanted to kill them for telling them the truth. You and I as a worshiper in 2023, and this isn't new, this is not a surprise that people have this reaction when sin is called out in, la in their life. Peter is calling them out on their inability. Here's what he's calling them out on. He's calling them out on their inability and their, or their failure to obey God. Because of their brokenness. This speaks of the depravity of man. You cannot obey God in your sinfulness. You cannot obey God if you have not been born again. Somebody say amen. So Peter is calling them out on their inability to obey God. And in verse 23, he mentions both of the religious leaders and their failure in, in seeing it. That's when Pharisee by the name of Gamaliel stood up and the teacher of the law. He was held in high esteem by others. A wise man. Gamaliel is best known for the apostle Paul's uh, being the apostle Paul's rabbi and teacher. He was a wise rabbi. He would be considered to be a master rabbi. And he said this, men, men of Israel, be careful. Take care. Be careful how you proceed and how you, what you do with these men. For I'm going to tell you, in these days, and in, in, in before these days, there was one by the name of Theodos, Theodos, who claimed to be somebody or Messiah, and he took about 400 with him. He was killed, his followers were killed, they were dispersed, and nothing came of it. Likewise, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew some away. All right, so here's two figures who thought that they were Messiah. They claimed to be Messiah, they gathered followers, they went out to spread whatever message it is that they had that this Judas of Galilee and 
Thaddeus was a Messiah, and they perished as well, and all who followed him were scattered. So very quickly, these were men who claimed Messiahship. Neither one of these movements succeeded, and if God be in this movement, it will fail as well. So Gamaliel, his assumption would be that it would fail, just like these pseudo-messianic movements did. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, in the last days, or in those days, many will come in my name. Didn't he say that? And this is a precursor to that many coming in his, uh, many that will come and proclaim to be a Messiah figure. If he had any inclination that this movement would be from God, then he would have given wise counsel to embrace it. So, in the present case, I tell you, leave them alone, let them go, and if, if this is of man, it will fail, but if it is of God, it will not be able to be overthrown, even if they are, even, you might even be found opposing God. And so they took his advice, and they called in the apostles, they beat them, and told them not to go in the name of Jesus. And so here's the, here's the thing when I first read this. I said, wait a minute. They beat them? Did they not just hear instructions to let them go? I imagine the guards exchanged something like this. Well, he didn't say that we couldn't give them one more beating before, before the road and, and let them go. Regardless, this was a case of a blessing in disguise. And God was watching over his church so that it would, so that it would spread. Look how they respond once they released and they were in the left the presence of the council they left and they were rejoicing they were just beaten and now they are rejoicing and they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name that is the name of Jesus and every day in the temple from house to house they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus many times our faith in this world will dictate complete opposition to the state of a of our union and in the world. Sometimes we might even be considered criminals if we speak against certain issue in today's culture. I remember not long ago there was rumorings of pastors being uh, ha having their ser sermons um, uh, subpoenaed so that they can read over them and, and see if there's any hate speech contained within it. Not long ago that was. When a pastor stands up and says that marriage is sanctioned between, by God between a biological man and one biological woman, they find themselves in hot water and we say in unity, well, so be it. It is God's design, isn't it? It's God's design and who are we to distort love? Who are we to distort the confines of marriage. Who are we to distort what God has set? When a pastor stands up and preaches against the act of abortion or suddenly out of nowhere comes the dusty argument, how about the woman's rights? Or who are you as a man to be able to even address this? And I am sorry, but this is one of the greatest straw man arguments that have ever existed. Let's set up one straw man, look at it instead of talking about the true topic. And that is the Imago Dei. That is a human life. How about when a preacher stands and says that there is no other way a person can even come to Christ, 
come to God, can even know God unless they come by the work of Jesus. Then all of a sudden you are a religious bigot and you are lost in an archaic belief system. But my Bible tells me that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that he has not deviated one bit from his word. If God has decreed it, then it is for his glory. And I know in the world that we live in, that's probably not a popular opinion. But if God opens the prison doors and he says to go, then we best go. If God reached down and has saved you from the pit of hell and has placed your feet on the solid rock of Jesus, you best stand upon that solid rock and go tell somebody. Let me read this last part again and we'll close. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Every day in the temple, from house to house, they did not cease teaching. See, I underline. And preaching that Christ is Jesus. They did not cease from exclaiming Jesus. And for some of us, it is impossible to follow through with this because we never really started. The question is, who or what are you afraid of?